This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Let's hit it! Give me a vacation! Vacation! Give me a wave! Surfing! Give me a city tour! The trolley! Give me animals! The zoo! Give me some sea life! <laughs> Give me museums! Park. Give me a woo! What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your family vacation at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, We guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products, because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Hello and welcome to Saver, a production of iHeartRadio and Stuff Media. I'm Annie Reese. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And today we're talking about caviar. Yes, we are. <laughs> Which is a very popular dish at Russian New Year, so sort of timely. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Also, I was telling Lauren before we started, every now and then I make what I call a grave miscalculation <laughs> in episodes. <laughs> and when we were talking about this, because Lauren and I have some travel coming up, so we were trying to pick kind of enclosed Topics. topics, yeah, something that would be easy to research, right. heavy scare quotes. Right, and we picked caviar because we thought, you know, this is one specific type of fish, fish row product. Right, yeah. So, easy to wrangle. No. Nope. No. Uh-uh. Not. Uh, could have kept researching this for days, maybe weeks. Mm-hmm. Definitely spent at least, at least 48 hours, like straight not Ooh. straight, but like total. <laughs> Maybe straight. I haven't slept in a while. Oh, gosh. Oh, Annie. Oh, no. Caviar. caviar. <laughs> it is the one that did us in. It is. Ooh. I think rice was the closest I've gotten. But I, you know, I'm not sure I've ever had caviar. I think I have. But I was under the misconception that all fish row is caviar. Right. Uh, I, I've had it. I've had like a couple pieces of it, like on top of something else. Mm-hmm. Like kind of kind of like the, the, the traditional like Bellini. Kind of thing, like yes. a little little fluffy pancake with like maybe a little bit of sour cream or something, and then a couple. Yeah, I've had like that sort of thing, mm-hmm. um, but I haven't like had like a spoonful of caviar. No, but I really want to now, and I think I'd feel very <laughs> guilty about doing so. So it's a uh, the opportunity is not going to present itself unless <laughs> unless something changes. 
in 2020 for me. Well, uh, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you never know. You know, you never know. Exactly. But we do know some things well, about caviar. We kind of know some things about caviar. This is the other, like, disclaimer that we wanted to say is that uh, uh, this is one of those topics where it feels like everything that we read about it, there was a different source that said something different. And, like, a, a good source. Yeah. You know? And all decent Conflicting. Sor- yeah. yeah. Exactly. So, yeah. I guess that brings us to our question. <laughs> brings us to many questions. It but does. We'll start with that one. <laughs> caviar. What is it? Well, uh, caviar is the uh, unfertilized eggs of fish, typically types of sturgeon, prepared and preserved by curing them in salt. Yeah. Yes. And sturgeon are a family of these large, bottom-feeding, smooth-skinned fish, no scales, uh, with these kind of big bony plates running down their bodies. And the ones harvested for caviar tend to range like 5 to 16 feet long at maturity and are cool water fish. Um, They live mostly in freshwater like rivers, lakes, river deltas, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. About 20 different species of sturgeon may be used to make caviar, but the most well-known and common are all originally from the Caspian Sea. Uh, Huso Huso, better known as Beluga, Asapenser Sturry, better known as Ocetra, and Asapenser Servu, better known as Sevruga. Uh, their eggs range in size and color. They're they're, they're real small. Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, and they can range in size and color um, from gray to green to gold to black. Belugas are the biggest. Um, Acetras the most subtle and complex flavored, and Sevrugas the smallest and considered the low end quality of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. Um, as with well any animal protein, really, um, the fish's environment and feed will affect the flavor and quality of the finished caviar. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. To create caviar, you uh, you remove the egg sacs from a grown sturgeon and kind of wash and sieve away the, the eggs from the membranes of, the, of those sacs. You rinse the eggs, remove any bits from them that are not tasty-looking eggs um, because you're probably going to get some other weird stuff in there. <laughs> uh, yeah, and then fold in salt. And the salt will pretty much immediately create a brine as, as the salt seeps into the eggs and water seeps out, you know. Osmosis. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you drain the brine and can the eggs for curing. A few weeks curing is common. Um, it's then packaged and sold, and the flavor will develop more over time, getting stronger as the product ages from a few months to about a year, matter of taste, how long you want to wait before you eat it. The result is a briny, savory, uh, uh, mildly fishy texture explosion um, that the smooth eggs pop in your mouth, releasing this kind of silky liquid. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you've never had any kind of fish row, um, it's sort of like a less violent Pop Rocks yeah. kind of situation. Pop Rocks of the sea. Ooh. <laughs> and um, like in bubble tea, it's kind of like Oh, totally. That. Yeah. Yeah. And I love reading people's descriptions of the texture specifically. And that is the, my favorite part of fish row that I've had. Yeah, absolutely. Is how it kind of like. Yeah, it's just a little burst, um, yeah. and because it's just sort of smooth and flavorless, and then there's a burst, and then just this this wash mm-hmm. of flavor. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, female sturgeon grow these these big egg sacs that just run all along the inside of their bellies, and a mature fish may have so many eggs that they can account for a full quarter of its body weight, which is typically like forty to eighty kilos, around ninety to one hundred eighty pounds. But the fish can grow. A much bigger. The largest on record was a beluga caught in 1827 weighing over 1,500 kilos. Um, she was over seven meters long. That's uh, that's 3,300 pounds and over 23 feet. Oh, wow. That is a heckin' big fish. Yes. 
I I recommend looking at pictures of these because I didn't envision them the way that they are. <laughs> they're pretty big. A lot of them, yeah. Yeah, they're like big, like like dino catfish. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they like, look like huge like catfish. Like battle-ready catfish. Mm-hmm. Oh, I kind of love them. Mm-hmm. Sturgeon may have to be 8 to 12 years old or, or even older before they're mature enough to create enough eggs to be considered worth harvesting for this row. Um, traditionally, you have to kill the fish in order to harvest the row because you can't wait for the fish to lay her eggs because once laid, the, the membranes start to break down pretty fast. You know, for ease of fertilization, great for creating baby fish, but um, it would create less like pop and snap in the finished caviar. So, yeah, it's delicate timing because you if you harvest too early, the eggs will be uh, too small and too fatty. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Um, farms do process, when they kill the fish, they do process the rest of the fish for, for sale, preventing waste, which is two points. But this may, may be changing. Um, a, a few processes are being researched for harvesting row without killing or even cutting open the fish. Um, one involves checking the egg's development via ultrasound and then administering, like when they're ready, administering this labor-inducing protein that will cause the membranes to release the eggs and will allow the producers to just gently massage the eggs out of the fish. The future is now. <laughs> ultrasounds for sturgeon. I, I will say that this isn't, I mean... I think a side effect that's great is mm-hmm. that it doesn't harm the fish. Yeah. Uh, but I think it's really more the fact that you're you're putting eight to twelve years into growing one of these buddies, and yeah. then if you kill it for a single harvest, it's you know. Yeah, and as we're going to talk about in a little bit, the numbers are pretty grim. Oh, they really are, uh, because yeah, we, we've just about brought sturgeon to uh, extinction for mm-hmm. for caviar, um, and so these days, most to all caviar sturgeon are farmed. Numbers are getting better. We're kind of, we're gonna we're gonna get to it. Anyway. Yeah, we're absolutely gonna get to it. According to Alexandra Petrosian of the Petrosian Fine Food Company, when good quality caviar is packed, the friction caused by the eggs rubbing together replicates the sound of a cat purring. A cat. Purring. Yeah, I just liked that. Huh. Yes. And historically, caviar spoons were made out of things like pearl or bone or wood, since silver was believed to react with caviar in a way that negatively impacted the taste. Ah. Yes. There's a lot of debate about there if that's actually true. I think it depends on what it was stored at, the caviar was stored at, the specific type. Oh. Yeah. Well. Of metal, yeah. There you go. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, Nutrition-wise, you know, fish eggs are little sacks of protein, you know, which if the eggs were fertilized would code for the growth of the baby fish, um, plus fats and a lot of vitamins and minerals to fuel that hypothetical fish's growth. Um, So, you know. Kind of, kind of fatty, kind of proteiny. Mm-hmm. Not, not bad for you. Mm-hmm. Um, the added salt, though, is like a lot of salt. <laughs> um, a single tablespoon of caviar contains about a tenth of your daily recommended intake of sodium. Whoa! Um, probably you're not eating more mm. than that anyway. Probably you're not even eating that much. Yeah. Uh, probably not. But from the research I've done, some I, people are eating way more than that. I have heard some stories. We have, cool. and we have some numbers. Yeah. The market for caviar is growing. Analysts predict that by 2023, it will reach $500 million. China accounts for 54% of the world's sturgeon farms. By contrast, the U.S. has 16 total. Mm -hmm. Even so, the U.S. is projected to become the third largest legal producer of caviar this year. And here's one of those weird uh, numbers things. I read a different market research analysis that predicted the market to be worth $1.5 billion by 2021. 
I did not buy either of these research reports, which cost over a thousand dollars, like gosh. two, like two grand a piece, um, to see exactly what they're talking about and how they got those numbers. But I, we can suffice to say that yeah. the market is worth a little bit of money. Yes, I think we can say that. And although, yes, China has by far the most production, and I think a full third, like quarter to a third of global production is one company in China. Oh. But um, but sturgeon are farmed for caviar all over the world now. Um, Russia, Iran, China, the U.S., France, Italy, Belgium, Germany, Israel, Moldova, Poland, Spain, Switzerland, Saudi Arabia, the U.K., Uruguay. There's probably more. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Caviar did used to be largely served in one particular way, the way you mentioned, Lauren, um, at least in the Russian preparation, atop puffy pancakes, bellini with cream fraiche. Purists argue you should eat the good stuff straight with a spoon. I'm in. <laughs> Nowadays, people have put caviar on just about anything you can imagine. I believe in our edible gold episode, a lot of the food items oh, we yeah. mentioned that were the most expensive food items had caviar. Because that's a real quick way to <laughs> jump up the price and yeah. make it fancy. Mm-hmm. Yes. But not so good numbers, too. The Monterey Bay Aquarium Seafood Watch lists a handful of the 26, but I've read 27, I've read 29. So there's apparently argument about a How particular species. species. There's the sturgeon? same thing. Yeah. yeah, whole thing. But anyway, uh, the species listed of sturgeon we get caviar from are all endangered, and all of them are overfished. For sustainable options, the Monterey Bay um, recommend U.S. farmed white sturgeon and paddlefish roe. Due to its endangered status, importing beluga caviar from the Caspian and Black Sea was banned in the United States in 2005. At the time, the U.S. consumed 60% of the global exports of that product. The U.N. had a similar ban, but they lifted it in 2007. But update! Ah! Ah! In 2016, a seller in Florida was granted an exemption to the U.S. ban, given that they helped restore the wild population and didn't rely on product from the Caspian Sea. It took this company three years, but as of 2019, they met those requirements and were given the go-ahead to sell their product commercially. So this is happening right now. It is. Mm -hmm. The Monterey Bay Aquarium also states, Seafood Watch no longer has recommendations for sturgeon or caviar that's imported from the Caspian or Black Seas because the legal harvest of sturgeon is banned. Yeah. And it's generally a very expensive product, like we were saying, depending on the variety Although there has been a rise in more affordable options. Mm-hmm. The most expensive caviar on record went for $35,000 per kilo, and that's about $1,000 per ounce. Oof. Harvested from an Iranian beluga sturgeon estimated to be between 60 to 100 years old. The Guinness Book of World Records lists this as the world's most expensive food. World's Oof. most expensive food. Wow. And I was curious, and I looked up a local Russian restaurant here in Atlanta, Nikolai's Roof, to see if they had caviar, and they do. One ounce supplement, $165. And then another option, $105. So, oh, so thrifty. Let's put it on the company <laughs> card. We might be able to get away with it if no one checks to. Because <laughs> it's over $100 a meal. You're supposed to specify why. <laughs> right. If we just get like four people out. Yeah, exactly. And just get that. Yeah. I think we can get away with it. All right. Well, I'm in. <laughs> Because caviar is so expensive, widely, and so rare, it has become closely associated with luxury, almost to the point of being shorthand for it. Mm -hmm. Robin Leach's Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous, an American TV series that aired from the mid-80s to the mid-90s, came with the tagline, Champagne Wishes and Caviar Dreams. Which, by the way, 
Most experts do not recommend the pairing of champagne and caviar, but instead vodka and caviar. Oh, it's cleaner. It's cleaner, yeah. I've also heard sake and Ooh, caviar is oh, a really oh, good one. Oh, man. All these things I want to try. <laughs> <laughs> James Beard once said of caviar, the roe of the Russian mother sturgeon has probably been present at more important international affairs than have all the Russian dignitaries of history combined. <laughs> this seemingly simple article of the diet has taken its place in the world along with pearls, sables, old silver, and selenium cups. Speaking of sables, uh, Ludwig Bemelmans, the author of the Madeline books, oh, yeah. um, and also uh, apparently a little bit of a gourmand, uh, once said, caviar is to dining what a sable coat is to a girl in an evening dress. R <laughs> <laughs> huh. this quote from Magoulon to Saint-Sama from A History of Food, every man and every woman reverently eating modern ambrosia in the form of caviar can identify as they indulge in the mad extravagance of swallowing it even if they do not happen to like it, with what they see as the last incarnation of the immortals. Wow. Right? Heck. Right. That is very French. It is. <laughs> and one more kind of to hint at some of the things to come. From Nikita Khrushchev from Enemy at the Gates, we have the luxury of vodka. We have the luxury of caviar. Time is a luxury we do not have. Ah. Mm-hmm. Mm. But caviar wasn't always such a luxury. Nope. And uh, we will get into that and the history of caviar once we get back from a quick break for a word from our sponsor. Let's hit it. Give me a vacation. Vacation. Give me a wave. Surfing. Give me a city tour. The trolley. Give me animals. The zoo. Give me some sea life. <laughs> Give me museums. Park. Give me a woo. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your family vacation at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. 
Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. And as we said, lots of conflicting history on this one. But we'll do our best. Uh-huh. And as part of that, shout out to Inga Saffron's book, Caviar, the Strange History and Uncertain Future of the World's Most Coveted Delicacy for being a huge help. Fascinating read. And it's really great if you want an illustration of just how much the numbers have dropped yeah. and how much the industry has changed. Yeah. Yeah. But okay. Yeah. So. History. The sturgeon goes back some uh, 250 million years. Yep, unchanged yep. since that time. <laughs> right. Some call it a living fossil because of that. It was consumed by Eastern Europeans and Middle Easterners pretty much since the beginning of humanity, but it's hard to say with certainty that they were eating caviar. Right. I, I'm sure if it was there, it got eaten, but the, the eggs wouldn't have been salt cured, so it's not technically caviar anyway. Right. Some sources do indicate that fish eggs were one of our first delicacies coveted by ancient Romans and Greeks, but there isn't much to back that up, and it conflicts with a lot of other historical records. Aristotle described caviar as a feature at banquets, announced at the end of feast with great fanfare, trumpets, and flowers. I love flowers, that. Why don't we trumpets. do that anymore? Yeah. Here comes the cake. I don't know. <laughs> the pineapple. Okay. <laughs> Next party. Some sources suggest that all the way back to 2400 BCE, Egyptians and Phoenicians salted and pickled fish eggs as a foodstuff to sustain them through famines, wars, and long journeys. And not just for eating. At varying points in history, it was viewed as an antidepressant, a way to increase stamina, and a cure for impotence. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. The 12th century is when caviar really became widespread in Russia, primarily as a food for the working class. Workers and peasants would press out the liquid and slice off pieces like like bread for lunch. Uh, yeah, yeah. There's a, there's a method of, uh, I think, a bunch of kind of the damaged or less good yeah. eggs still to this day can be pressed into sort of like a cake. Which I really want to try. Oh, I'm very curious about it. It sounds quite fishy and salty. It does. It does. But yeah, they would eat this um, for their lunches. In 1240, the grandson of Genghis Khan, Batu Khan, enjoyed caviar paired with hot apple preserves after he conquered Muscovy. The story goes that his wife couldn't get over the smell and may or may not have spit it out, may or may not have even tried it, but definitely walked away and was like, no. Nope. <laughs> not for me. Don't like it. Some countries, though, had laws during the Middle Ages dictating that high-quality caviar had to be reserved for their respective monarchies. One example came in 1324 when King Edward II declared the sturgeon was the royal fish, decreeing that the stock in England's waters belonged to the imperial treasury. And this brings us to a modern thing that I had to include <laughs> that I legitimately thought might have been an Onion article, but it's totally real. <laughs> a BBC story from 2004 detailed a man being investigated by the police after he caught a sturgeon 
allegedly without the queen's permission. Without the queen's permission. That's right. So it's still a thing. According to the story, the queen has to be consulted prior to any action regarding a sturgeon after it is caught. Only around six are caught in the UK a year. The fisherman in question didn't even know that this was a thing. Or what the fish was. Exactly. He had to consult people about it. A spokesperson from the Swansea Coast Guard said, A fax was sent to Buckingham Palace and fairly quickly a return fax came saying the fisherman was free to dispose of it as he wished. I believe that most of the time fishermen are allowed to keep what they catch, although this has never happened in the eight years I've worked here. Wow. They sent a fax. Not, not only did they send a fax about whether or not this guy, the queen, will allow this guy to do something with a fish. It was a fax. It was a fax. And to they, Buckingham Palace. And Buckingham Palace faxed him back. Oh, quickly. And then I found out that royal fish is a whole thing. It's a category. We have to do an episode on it. We have to. Yes. Like dolphins are one. Still, still a thing. That's beautiful. The queen's probably like, oh, good. (laughs) (laughs) Ask me about this sturgeon. Sure. (laughs) In the 1400s, Venetians returned from the Black Sea with barrels of caviar, introducing it to parts of Europe that had previously not known about it, or possibly they had, but it had been forgotten. However, it didn't really take off. Shakespeare even used caviar to mean obscurity in Hamlet in the 16th century. A common Italian saying at the time was, Whosoever eateth of caviar eateth of salt, dung, and flies. Ooh, I know. Harsh. Really. Some fishermen fed fish roe to pigs. As far as we know, the English word caviar first appeared in print in 1591, possibly derived from the Turkish word kaviar, or perhaps the Persian word shavyar. These words mean cake of power or piece of power they did. Or perhaps it was derived from Italian or Greek. Arguments about this as well. Mysteries, histories. Yep. After the Cossack Rebellion failed in 1671 and its leader was hung, the Cossacks presented the Tsar with a bowl of caviar, reminiscent of the act of peasants offering up salt and bread to honored guests. In order to prevent a future uprising, Tsar Peter the Great gave the Cossacks control of the sturgeon industry as well as the power to collect taxes on salt, both key and caviar. In fact, Peter advised the Cossacks to export caviar. But it wasn't easy, and while this meant that for many Europeans, Russian caviar was beyond their reach, many heard tales of it. Some found it almost mythic, while others found it flat-out ridiculous, including French writer Rabelais. He wrote about that. Oh, wow. How ridiculous he found the whole thing. Huh. When Peter the Great offered up a sample of caviar to French King Louis XV, the king allegedly spit it out on the very fancy carpet at the Versailles. Savary's 1741 Dictionnaire du Commerce came with this glowing review. It is beginning to be known in France where it is not despised at the best tables. Oh. (laughs) Becoming known where it's not despised. (laughs) Love it. That's me in 2020. (laughs) (laughs) Caviar was further popularized in Russia as an alternative to meat on the days when the church forbade eating meat in the early 1800s. In 1861, Elena Molokovitz cookbook, A Gift to Young Housewives, suggested garnishing sauerkraut with caviar as though it were, quote, strewn with poppy seeds. I mean, sure. Yeah. Yeah, no arguments here. Mm -hmm. The Romanov, not the royal family Romanov, Caviar Company, was established in 1859. Two other big names in the world of caviar to this day got started around this time. German company Diekmann and Hansen in 1861 and Paris-based Petroshin a couple of years later in 1922, which I mentioned at the top. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, 
When the Ritz Hotel Paris opened in 1891, it drew in a celebrity clientele like Ernest Hemingway and F. Scott Fitzgerald. I feel like they were everywhere. Yeah. That was somewhere. They were there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they enjoyed caviar and champagne. Also, there are really wild stories about this hotel, which I believe recently reopened after remodeling, including that Hemingway helped liberate it from the Nazis. Somehow I feel like we've talked about that before. But if we have it— Maybe in a cocktail episode? Yeah. Okay. I think it came up. But anyway, I guess you can get caviar treatment for your face there, or you could at one time— I didn't, like, call and ask, but according to their website, there is a Chanel skincare spa and a proprietary Ritz spa, and I did not see any caviar mentioned. Doesn't mean that it's not there. (laughs) True. Um, However, while we're talking about the Ritz, one Matthew Fort writing about caviar for Esquire related that um, around 1975, the Ritz London's Ravioli Bar um, had these these, these five-pound sterling lunches that consisted of White bread sandwiches, crusts cut off, of course, mm-hmm. um, stuffed with either foie gras or caviar, um, plus half a bottle of champagne on the side. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I mean, five pounds today sounds like, oh, man, that's a great deal. Let's right. do it every day. At the time, it was like like 38 pounds in today's money, yeah. um, which is about 50 bucks American. So not, I mean, still a pretty good deal. for Comparatively. But, yes. Yeah. Not uh, as cheap as it sounds. No, not as cheap as it sounds. The Industrial Revolution made transport of intact eggs far simpler, things like refrigeration, railways, huge helps, and also allowed for the growth of a class of folks that could afford them. A Greek sea captain by the name of Ionis Vavarkis helped elevate caviar in Europe from a thing king spat out to a much-desired item among the European aristocracy. Vavarkis tried caviar in Russia in the 1780s, and the wheels started turning in his brain He figured out how to preserve and transport the eggs in the Mediterranean, and by the time of his 1824 death, he was a millionaire off of caviar. Mm -hmm. But not all caviar was expensive. As we discussed in our Bar Snacks episode, yes, our Bar Snacks episode, (laughs) salty caviar was sometimes served as a complimentary lunch item at saloons to encourage drinking in early 19th century America. You know, the salt makes you... Thirsty, you drink more. Sure. Exactly. Yeah. This was largely possible because there were so many sturgeons populating North American waters. The flesh of sturgeon caught from the Hudson River was so plentiful, it was known as Albany beef. Huh. Yeah. German immigrants are generally credited with introducing a taste for caviar to the United States, particularly in the Midwest. But uh, Native Americans were eating caviar long before any immigrants arrived and, in some cases, fed it to their babies. Huh. Yeah. One Henry shocked an immigrant from Germany, took note of people enjoying caviar, and saw, hey, a business opportunity. In 1873, he started shipping caviar to Europe priced at a dollar a pound. Several others did the same in the wake of his success, enough so that the U.S. became the world's largest exporter of caviar by the 19th century's end. Huh. But twist. But twist. But twist. Because Europeans saw business opportunity, too. Some enterprising and perhaps less than scrupulous individuals took that imported American caviar, relabeled it Russian caviar, which was highly prized. Much more expensive. Uh-huh. And shipped it right back to the U.S. Wow. Yep. And oh. they were also very successful. The state of Pennsylvania reported that up to 90% of European imported Russian caviar actually originated in the United States. 
around the end of the 1800s. Yeah. Wild. Love it. Yeah. Oh. Oof. In a parallel, the numbers of North American sturgeon dropped dramatically, nearly to extinction. This translated to an exorbitant increase in price for caviar. By the 1890s, 1900s, caviar had become much more high-end in the United States. And it also course-corrected a little bit that um, in that most caviar labeled as Russian did legit come from Russia. Russia's communist government took control of the Caspian fishery where two-thirds of Russian caviar originated. That's 3,000 tons a year in 1900. This takeover was violent, resulting in several executions. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, following this, in the 1930s, uh, the USSR started the very first sturgeon farming operations in the world. Skipping ahead to the 1960s, China decided to get in on the caviar game. Um, after all, a species of sturgeon were plentiful in the Amur River, which is the boundary between Russia and China. And from what I understand, it's sort of a story of, like, of like hope for peace um, or at least, like, fortitude through financial gain anyway um, because, like, this was the height of the Cold War, right? And so China-Russia relations were strained to violent. China-U.S. relations were super strained as well. Um, but China pulled together the sturgeon fishing and egg harvesting industry with help from American corporations and Russian experts. Caviar. <laughs> The power of caviar. The power of caviar. Yeah. Caviar prices reached such heights that people in the United States started searching for domestic alternatives in the 1960s. Yeah. And they weren't the only ones. The Russian caviar companies started selling cheaper options in the 80s like salmon roe, red salmon caviar, lumpfish, and whitefish or golden whitefish caviar. But uh, but yeah, sturgeon caviar was still a big ticket item in Russia. And in 1979... This is another one where they're conflicting histories. Um, uh, there was this big scandal. It came out that a whole ring of employees within the Soviet Union's Ministry of Fish Industry had been running like a decade-long scam. They had been purposefully mislabeling these huge cans of caviar as smoked herring. Like uh, different different articles uh, it published in the American press say either three to five kilo cans or three to five liter cans. Either way, mm-hmm. a lot of caviar. <laughs> M- mislabeling it as smoked herring, shipping it out of the country for relabeling and sale in the Europe and the U.S. Uh-huh. Um, and yeah. saving the profits in Swiss bank accounts. But like... Huge scandal, like forced the resignation of the dude who had been in charge since the 1940s. Rumor had it that up to 200 employees were arrested. Like the penalty for this kind of like money involving scam was death by firing squad. Whoa. Huh. And supposedly the whole ring broke when um, so like mislabeled cans would occasionally link into the local market and give some random shopper a big surprise, a very big, <laughs> right. very pleasant surprise. Uh-huh. But apparently the wrong man got the wrong can. Oh. And a surprised police investigator pulled the whole thing down. Wow. <sighs> Dang. That's a food heist. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Oh, I want to do a whole episode just on that. Yeah. Oh gosh. Um. I, yeah. And I and I couldn't figure like the story kind of disappeared. Like I couldn't figure out what happened in the wake of it. And I'm wondering if it was all just like weird misinformation. Mm-hmm. Anyway. <laughs> uh, throughout all of this, you may have noticed that we haven't mentioned the other major power that borders the Caspian Sea. What's now Iran? It wasn't until after the Iranian Revolution, sometimes called the Islamic Revolution, in 1979. Following decades of political and religious and economic turmoil, that sturgeon was reclassified as a scaled fish 
and thus okay for devout Muslims to handle. And supposedly, the change was made because of the trade value of caviar in the early 1980s. Mm-hmm. They were like, we can export this if it's okay for us to handle. So <laughs> let's talk about this. We just had a whole revolution. Let's, yeah, yeah let's do yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With the collapse of the Soviet Union in the 1990s, caviar prices plummeted in Russia. You could even buy it from peddlers on the sidewalk. And a large international black market, in part supplied by caviar poachers, flourished, severely threatening the population of Caspian sturgeon. Several descriptions liken this Russian caviar black market to the illegal drug market in the United States. And I I can't really overstate how devastating this was to sturgeon. Like, the collapse of the USSR was the worst possible thing that could have happened for these fish. Yeah. Um, uh, it, it really led to the complete overfishing that has led to the endangerment of these species today. Yeah, and again, the book we mentioned at the top of this segment, go read it. It is so illustrative of that. Yeah. Because uh, she, the author, interviews people who've been in the industry for Decades in some cases, a long time. And they're just so, they have hope. They yeah. keep thinking it's going to bounce back, and it just hasn't, and it hasn't, and it hasn't. And scientists are saying, no, it's not, unless we change things. Unless we change a lot. Yeah, and some things are changing, which we'll get to in a second, but we do have a little bit more of yeah. scandal. Scandal. In the mid-1990s, Arnold Hansen Sturm, president of Hansen Caviar Co., sold 3,000 pounds of illegal caviar for a total of around $2 million. Ooh. Yep. When he was caught, he only served 18 months in jail, and he and the company combined paid about 20,000 fines. That also differs depending on what you read. I believe he's back in the in the biz. Back in the biz? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. In 1998, the Convention on International Trade in Endangered Species, or C-I-T-E-S, put in place regulations around the global sturgeon and caviar trade. And those regulations do help. Um, thanks to, uh, to to those and the Endangered Species Act, um, in the year 2000, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service seized a ton of illegally imported caviar and fined the importers over $10 million. Ooh, they destroyed the caviar. Oh, oh that hurts. It does. That hurts. <laughs> Beginning in 2000, Russia started implementing regulations to crack down on poaching and overfishing. And this led to a number of bloody conflicts between poachers and officials. Apparently, the local Russian, like, caviar mafia used their wives and children as human shields in this one attack on the Coast Guard to recover confiscated boats and equipment. Oh, my gosh. Hoof. In 2000, the United Nations Conservation Council and Caspian Sea states banned the export of wild caviar to Europe, followed in 2005 by that U.S. beluga caviar ban. This resulted in a rise of farmed caviar, especially from Italy, Iran, and here in the United States, California. In 2008, researchers conducted an experiment with caviar in which participants were asked to evaluate the taste of caviar labeled rare versus some labeled as common. And as you can probably guess, the caviar was actually the same, but people largely expressed a preference for the caviar labeled rare. Huh. Humans. (laughs) <laughs> Humans. Humans. You're so <laughs> funny. What are you up to? Oh, um, as of 2013, this 30-year sturgeon research program in Japan finally came to fruition and began selling caviar commercially. Mm-hmm. So we now have commercial caviar coming out of Japan. And that's also around when China's production of and market for caviar began booming to where it is today. 
In 2011, a Chinese company got this contract with um, German airline. I never know how to say it. Lufthansa. Thank you, Lufthansa. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they got this contract with Lufthansa to provide caviar for its first class cabins. And so that's when the like global luxury market kind of started taking Chinese caviar seriously. Mm. Mm-hmm. And as of 2019, Atlantic sturgeon populations seem to be starting to bounce back um, thanks to 30 years of environmental efforts to restore their habitats and uh, prevent uh, fishing of them. Yeah, and there's so much to read about this and so much of it it feels like you're reading a fiction book. Like, this character can't possibly exist in this world of Sturgeon. Yeah. But <laughs> he does. I'm thinking of one person in particular. And if you, you go look into the, the research, you'll know who I'm talking about. But, yeah, the numbers got so low and the situation's so bad. So this is – it's promising that we're starting to see some results from the people who've been in this field and working on it. And trying so hard to be heard. Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, again, like it comes it comes down to money so much because there are so many other species that have not had this amount of work put into mm-hmm. their health and welfare yeah. because they're not producing caviar. So the most expensive food in the world. So screw them. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's real nice that people are working on a solution for this animal. I wish that more animals were being given Similar treatment, but yay! Agreed. Sturgeons. Sturgeons. I do. They are cute in a weird way. I, I really am very fond of catfish. <laughs> I think they're adorable. So, so yeah. And these guys have the little, like, like whisker kind of things, yeah, too. So, yeah. 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 And I do. It is fascinating to me when foods like this become the cultural icon almost that they yeah. are. That it is fancy and wealth and luxury mm-hmm. and that the eating it, it somehow gives you that, imparts that to you. Right. Fascinating. It's aspirational. Yeah. Huh. Huh. Indeed. I have aspirations. We'll get to try some one day. <laughs> but in the meantime, we do have a little bit more for you. But first, we've got another quick break for a word from our sponsor. Let's hit it. Give me a vacation. Vacation. Give me a wave. Surfing. Give me a city tour. The trolley. Give me animals. The zoo. Give me some sea life. <laughs> Give me museums. Park. Give me a woo. Roller coaster. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your family vacation at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. 
Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. And we're back with Listener Mail. I would do the transatlantic accent <laughs> at any opportunity. <laughs> any opportunity. We were both also holding fake cigars, <laughs> yeah, we, invisible cigars. Without, when we like, did really that. communicating. We just knew. If you do the transatlantic, <laughs> you need something in your hand, either, like, martini glass, champagne glass, or a little cigarette. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, was yours a martini glass? Yes. Oh, okay. Okay. I think mine was a cigar. <laughs> oh. Cool. Well, we were, we were on the same page. Yeah. <laughs> Asher wrote... Just listened to the Bayleaf episode and laughed at the conspiracy section. I don't know how much they truly affect the flavor of my meals because I definitely use the dry kind. I need to get fresh. And I tend to use a lot of other spices as well. But when I was a kid and was having dinner at a friend's house, the mom said, you know the tradition, whoever gets the bay leaf in their bowl has to kiss the cook. And I just thought this was the cutest tradition ever. So now I always stick at least one in my soups, sauces, etc. Then make sure it ends up in my fiancé's bowl. So he has to give me a kiss. <laughs> He always rolls his eyes that I did it on purpose, but kisses me anyway. Oh, That's love. That's so sweet. Bayleaf love. Bayleaf love. Yes. Robert wrote, A couple years back, we found out about a somewhat local candy company that has cane-making demonstrations in December. We packed up our four-year-old niece and took her to a candy store, Best Aunt and Uncle. They had a huge glass window for people to watch as they made candy canes and candy bowls. Yes, bowls made from candy cane ropes, uh, starting with that yellowish molten sugar. I had no idea how they made the white color myself, so color me shocked when the worker took the yellow soft candy and worked it on a hook on the wall like taffy to turn it white. After twisting and thinning it, they brought out straight lengths for all the kids to form into their own shapes. After the demonstration, we then tried to control ourselves and not buy everything we saw. They had some interesting flavors of candy canes. One of my favorite was sassafras. We also picked up some ribbon candy. I think the same material as candy canes, flattened and twisted like a barber pole. Later that day, some of those pieces were used as the chimney for our gingerbread house. Just a shout out to Purity Candy in central Pennsylvania. That sounds cool. That does sound cool. Anytime there's a demonstration, I'm super in for it. I know. I always love... When I walk by one of those candy places that has those demonstrations, and it's all kids, and it's just me. Yeah. And I'm equally <laughs> pressed up and riveted. Just, <laughs> yeah, yeah, just face against the glass. <laughs> Looking at the other kids, you seeing this? Yeah, check it out. <laughs> Gasping along. Yeah. <laughs> I would love to check this out. I mean, I'm not a big fan of candy canes, but I'd love to see how they're made. Absolutely. 
Yes. <sighs> Thanks to both of those listeners for writing in. If you would like to write to us, you can. Our email is hello at saverpod.com. We're also on social media. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at SaverPod. And we do hope to hear from you. Saver is a production of iHeartRadio and Stuff Media. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, you can visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Thanks, as always, to our super producers, Dylan Fagan and Andrew Howard. Thanks to you for listening, and we hope that lots more good things are coming your way. Let's hit it. Give me a vacation. Vacation. Give me a wave. Surfing. Give me a city tour. The trolley. Give me animals. The zoo. Give me some sea life. <laughs> Give me museums. Park. Give me a woo. What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your family vacation at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine tingling shows on AE Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah! Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.